Hello, this is Ken Clark, minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of our worship service. These services are posted weekly on our website and as a podcast entitled A Walk to Cleo Hall, which can be found on Spotify, Anchor, and other broadcast apps. The organist is Jean Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Ken Clark.
welcome to the Old First Church here in Bennington, Vermont. The opening words for our service this day. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. The ways of the Lord are love and faithfulness. For him is, O splendor of God's glory bright. service, join me if you will in saying it together. O Lord our God, you know us better than we know ourselves. As we come before you now, believers and doubters alike, we all share a deep need, for we are all lost without your grace. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our troubled thoughts. Give us true repentance, forgive us all our wrongs, transform us by your Spirit to live for you each day, to learn to serve each other, and through the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord to come at last to heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen.
first lesson today is taken from the book of Deuteronomy in the fourth chapter, verses 15 through 20. To put this in context, you should know that I've strayed from the lectionary for this reading. The lectionary continues with more of the Genesis stories of Jacob, but we are leaving Jacob for the time being to go back to this section from Deuteronomy, the book of certain laws given to the Hebrew people. We join at this time in the book when Moses is giving instructions to the people as they are about to enter the land promised to them. Moses will not enter a complicated story, but Moses has been denied entry because God has told Moses that he will not enter the promised land, but he is given a glimpse of it. And at this point, Moses is instructing the people before they go over a series of things they should do and refrain from doing. Deuteronomy 4, 15 through 20. Since you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire, take care and watch yourselves closely so that you do not act corruptly by making an idol for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And when you look up to the heavens and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the host of heaven, do not be led astray and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples everywhere under heaven, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron smelter out of Egypt to become a people of his very own possession, as you are now. Here ends the first lesson. Our hymn is How Lovely Lord.
second lesson is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. In the 13th chapter, verses 31 through 33, and then 44 through 52, this is from the lectionary reading appointed for this day and is an extension of the parables that Jesus is telling to the people. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it all was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where they will be weeping and gnashing teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Here ends the second lesson. Obviously, I made a substitution in the first reading this morning so I could speak a little bit about the book of Deuteronomy and Moses' words to the people, words that advise them against idolatry in the form of making images the people here in Bennington, the Puritan tradition of which this church was a part and which this church fully reflects is some of those words that Moses gave the people. As the people at the time of the pilgrims and going into the founding of Bennington and the people who gathered here to worship looked at the Bible closely, looked at the church practices around them from which their ancestors had left, practices of the Church of England or perhaps other of the Roman Catholic churches or Orthodox churches for that matter, which were rich in imagery. The Puritans reacted against that and created for themselves a place that was barren of imagery, partly reflecting this counsel of Moses that there should be no thing no image that we should worship and focus our attention on. Good counsel in all ages. We do make idols for ourselves in every age. We do form attachments. We do look at things and fall in love with the image, the idea, and we put that above all other things. Moses goes through quite categorically form of any figure, male or female. A lot of competition in those days in this area of the Middle East where these people were to settle. Images of various fertility goddesses, the image of the god Baal, the serpent 
lifted up on a snake, on a stake, which might be worshipped, winged birds that fly in the air, making an image of them, anything that creeps on the ground, any fish, and then the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the host of heaven. Moses cautions them, do not be led astray into worshiping these things. His point here is that these things are for everybody. The heavens stretch over the entire earth and they give a general blessing to all. Moses' point here is the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples these things everywhere under heaven. But he's taken you especially, so you are to behave differently. The point here has some resonance in the fact that people did look up to the heavens, to the sun and the moon and the stars, the hosts of heaven. We talked earlier this season about the dome of heaven itself, the firmament, and how impressive that was as an image of the generality of creation and the wonder of it all. And yet we return to the philosophy that formed this place, the lack of images. And that's true in this church. Visitors always remark upon the fact that we have no cross that is displayed. Some people will say that the form of the church itself reflects a sense of the cross as the moldings on the ceiling surrounding the dome seem to indicate that to some. But in other ways, there is no image here within the church, at least in the original church. But there is one thing that I want to mention this morning that we do have, and that is a weather vane. The weather vane, of course, is not inside the church. And I want to say this for anyone who's listening and has not visited us here, visited us here in Bennington, that we do not worship the weather vane. We don't bring it in uh, once a year for veneration, or we don't go up to the tipping top of the steeple and touch it or otherwise admire it. And as a matter of fact, I have to tell you that this weather vane is a reproduction. The original weather vane, talk about idols, is in the Bennington Museum, or a place that everyone can visit and take a good up-close look at that weather vane. But again, no worship, just something to look at and think about. What makes this weather vane special? Why in the world did we make a reproduction after almost 200 years? Well, we were redoing the steeple, and it seemed a good time when the steeple came down and was refurbished to take a look at that weather vane, and for some reason the idea was made that we should have the replica produced, the original go to the museum. What makes it special? Well, the weather vane on most churches is perhaps in the shape of a rooster. You've seen many churches with a rooster or a cock on top of the uh, church steeple. This is an old and historic tradition. In other churches, you may see the angel Gabriel blowing a trumpet good biblical figure. The rooster, particularly I think on Episcopal churches you see this, the rooster is a reminder of that section in the gospel where Jesus tells Peter 
that the cock will crow three times in reference to Peter's act of denying him on the night of Jesus' arrest. And so, in some ways, the appearance of the rooster almost reminds modern-day people that that is the cock that crows and the voice that reminds us that Jesus is waiting for us to do something, to say something, to be true to what we know about life. And so it is atop so many churches. It has an ancient history. I can't nail it down, but there are references to an early pope, Pope Nicholas, from 858 to 867, the pope of the Roman church, who decreed that all churches should have not a cross, but a rooster on their steeple or their dome. Well, here in Bennington, we haven't followed the decrees of Pope Nicholas, nor many other popes since that time. But we do have a weather vane, as many churches do. Again, I mentioned it could be Gabriel. It could be the rooster. You've seen those weather vanes that have the horse and carriage with the person driving the horses. It could be a ship if you live near enough to the ocean. There is a church that I know that has a wood saw. You know those carpenters' wood saws as their weather vane. I take that as perhaps a reference to Jesus as a carpenter. I'm not exactly sure. And every time I preach and talk about weather vanes and churches, I'm reminded of a story I read long ago and have searched for since and can't find, so I'm not sure about its truth at all, about a church that was promised a great bequest of money if they would put a beer can on their steeple as their weather vane. And I'm not sure that story is true. I'm not sure it ever happened, but I seem to remember reading it at some point. What's on top of our church? Even for those of you in Bennington this, listening to the sermon this morning, I will challenge you for a second. Think, what is our weather bay? What do you imagine it is? You should know it's not like a basic question to become a member here to be able to answer it correctly, but it's a good question. What's our weather bay? Now that I've given you a proper amount of time to write down your answers, our weather vane is a comet. It is actually two comets. Two comets flying in the air. You can see them up on top of the church. They're small because they're a weather vane and they're way up in the sky. But it's kind of nice because if you look at them, you can imagine the sky behind them. It all comes together very nicely. Why in the world are they up there? Especially in lieu of reading from Deuteronomy about those images about the sky and the stars. Comets have sometimes been omens of ill, harbingers of bad things. People have panicked at the sight of comets in the sky. It's not a star. It's not the star of Bethlehem. It's a comet, and a very specific comet at that. It is Bela's comet which was first 
cited in the year 1772, and oddly enough, by the year 1846, it split in two. A single comet suddenly split in two. And it was about this time, we imagine, that our church was being remodeled, and the old church that harkened back to the early colonial days with the box pews was replaced by a church that was much darker and had stained glass windows and some images. And as they did this renovation in the 1850s, it's likely that they mounted this comet, this weather vane comet, in the steeple. It was a sensation at the time. It was at the time when the United States was in a very difficult time. Some people probably thought the world was coming to an end. Civil war was looming, slavery, social agitation. The Millerites were predicting the end of times in any moment. And the appearance of a comet in the sky, especially one that would break up into two. Imagine if you are thinking about our country and suddenly a comet appears in the sky and suddenly what was once one is split into two. Oddly enough, this comet, which appeared in 1846 and again in 1852, disappeared. Comets, one of the things about them are things you can generally count on. Halley's Comet appears on a regular schedule perhaps twice in people's lifetimes. Some comets appear on less frequent schedules, but they're predictable. And some comets disappear, lost comets. This happened to Byla's Comet. It disappeared after its last appearance in 1872. It was seen only after that time as meteor showers. One thing that made Byla's Comet a sensation was when they calculated its orbit through the sky, they realized that it crossed the path of Earth. If the comet stayed intact, there was perhaps mathematically a chance that someday this comet would collide with the Earth. A predictable thing. It crossed the orbital path of the Earth. They were on, in some sense, perhaps in the far distant future, a collision force. But then the comet breaks in two and disappears. We know them now as a meteor shower, the Andromedids in the fall. They were also called the violet comet meteor shower. So you can look into the sky and imagine that the shooting stars you see are little bits of that comet which has disintegrated. It's no longer with us, but still somehow casting little bits of itself onto the planet Earth. That's one reason, because of the collision course, because of the whole history of comets, that perhaps people were impressed, impressed enough to put it on our weather vane. Perhaps they thought in some way like the rooster. It was a sign to remember that things are ephemeral. Things change. What we have today can be destroyed tomorrow. And the appearance of a comet might predict 
the end of time. And if it so predicts the end of time, it's worthy to put on the church steeple to remind those who gather inside that life is uncertain, that things change, that time comes to an end. We don't really know who made this selection or who put it up, but it is there for us today, at least it's replica. And although we don't worship it, it carries instead for us a message to think about. If you haven't guessed, the reason I'm talking about this today is because there's another comet in the sky this past week. As a matter of fact, as I'm talking now, it's about passing as close to Earth as it ever will be. It too is on a schedule. It's not going to return here to Earth for another 6,800 years. It'll be here in the year 8,786. Honestly, I can't tell you that I'm going to be here to see it that year. That's a long time in the future. Who knows what Beddington will look like, what this church will look like, what this world will look like, what this solar system will be like in 8,786. You look up in the sky and see things unchanging and suddenly we realize that comets disappear, Stars flicker out. All kinds of things happen in this unchangeable world. Change does happen. This comet that I'm talking about is got a name, just like Bela's comet has a name, and Halley's comet has a name. This comet is named C slash 2020 F3, or you prefer Neowise, N-E-O-W-I-S-E. That's a really great modern name, Neo, Neowise, Neowise. It sounds excellent. It stands actually as an acronym abbreviation for the people who discovered it. And those people were the operators of the Near Earth Object Wide Field Infrared Survey. You take time, spells out Neowise. And so the comet Neowise has been with us for these last few weeks, hardly bright in the sky. It's one of those things in life, and this is one of life's lessons. You look forward to something, you say that there's going to be a comet in the sky, and you get all excited. You want to go see it. When I was a child, I thought I'd see the comets hurtling by at the fastest of speed. After all, it's traveling 40 miles per second. 40 miles per second. You look up into the sky expecting to see something blazing by better than the Indianapolis 500 up there. And instead, you see a smudge in the sky. Say to yourself, is that all? Is, is that all? God has arranged, the universe has contrived such a wonder 40 miles per second, three miles wide. And you look up and you say, huh? That's it, huh? That's what all the excitement's about? Some look up that way, but others look up and they realize as they see it that that is 40 miles per second, three miles wide at a huge distance from the earth. And it puts everything in perspective. First, we must take the time 
I'm reminded, and this is almost an anniversary, three years ago in 2017, I journeyed out west to see the total eclipse of the sun. That still is a wonderful experience for me. And here was the comet Neowise. I couldn't help but put it on my schedule. Take the time. What's this sermon about? Take the time in life. Take the time to do something that you might not be able to do for another 6,800 years. Take the time to do something that you might not be able to do tomorrow. By the time you hear the sermon, by the time I'm preaching it, Neowise is already on its way out. It may be past the time of being able to see it. But there's something in your life today that you can take the time for. And it doesn't need to be a chore. It needs to be something that opens your mind, opens your heart, expands your vision. Take the time. Second, don't be disappointed. Don't put into whatever it is you're undertaking too many expectations. Take it for what it is. Understand it in its context. And be grateful if you've taken the time for something that can expand your vision, open your heart, teach you something about the majesty of this universe. So first, Take the time. Now, it's a hard lesson because as I spent the last week trying to make an appointment with this comet, which is under the Big Dipper, so relatively easy for a astronomically challenged person like myself to find, I knew enough to look behind, underneath the Big Dipper, but the nights were often cloudy. Some nights the heat was so intense that the haze was not good enough. So every night I took a little inventory of what the sky would be like. Finally found a night this past week when the sky was right. Where to look for this? Up in the sky under the Big Dipper? We have that pretty clearly. But where beyond that, there are trees all over the place where I live. How to find a nice flat space. Couldn't I go out west, take another plane ride out west to the uh, foothills of the Rocky Mountains and go up to the plains, the high, dry desert plain in Wyoming, where I could see 50 miles in every direction? Wouldn't that be a great place to look for this comet? Well, not this year. Here's another lesson, this one from Henry David Thoreau. Sometimes you can travel far by traveling in your backyard. And yet, my backyard wasn't quite right. About four miles away from my house is a observatory, a telescope on the grounds of the private school. So I drove over there about 9.15, one night this week. And sure enough, as I suspected, it was not deserted. There was at least the astronomer there. He informed me that he was not looking at comets that night, but looking at um, 
galaxy. So to each their own. I was looking for a comet, not a galaxy. So the telescope wasn't going to be pointing in the right direction. And plus he informed me that unfortunately this comet was low on the horizon and there's a hill in the way. Likely I would not see it there. So I drove away, checking my watch, hoping that between the dusk hours from sunset till about 10 at night, uh, I could find this comet somewhere, and I indeed found a nice high spot on a side road about a mile from my house. Where I looked, I needed binoculars, and I looked and had a hunch and then found what I was looking for, a little smudge in the sky. Was I disappointed? No. I was not disappointed. I was delighted. I had found something that was very hard to find. And it was traveling 40 miles per second, and it was three miles wide, but it was also extremely hard to find. And I located it with the binoculars, saw the tail, saw the head of it, took the binoculars down and could still see the smudge. I could see the smudge actually before, but I needed to confirm it. What's the other thing about looking for comets and things like this? Taking the time and then gaining the perspective. No matter what else was going on in my life that day, this week, and your life that day, this week, there was something calming about looking out into the universe and seeing something that was relatively predictable show up on time and do its thing seeing something that didn't seem to care about civil strife or about imminent illness. Didn't seem to care about happiness or birth or death. It was just there for me and for anyone else as Moses notes under the entire, across the entire earth to look up and see, take the time you will gain perspective. Having spotted the comet, I went home, and I want to add one more element to this, and again, it's a Thorovian element. As I came into the house and stepped into my side door, I looked up at the sky. It was a good night. And you know what? Having seen where the comet was, I looked up and there it was. Standing on the front door step of my house, traveling more, no more than six inches from the inside. There was Comet Neowise, still 40 miles per second and three miles wide, but right outside my door. It's been over my head all this time, all the time. But little did I suspect that it was right outside my door. All I had to do was open the door, step outside, and look up. But of course, I would have never seen it if I hadn't taken the time. If I hadn't gone with some sense of perspective about the whole process. If I hadn't somehow made the effort to locate this thing, I would have looked up every night this past week and not known what I was missing. Passing in and out of my 
side door on a hundred earthly errands and none of them as majestic. Knowing where and how to look is so important in finding promise, in living a spiritual life. And now, how does this tie into our second reading? The kingdom of God. Those kingdom of God readings are sometimes hard to understand. They're never very well defined. Jesus just seems to make you think that it's hard. But when you find it, it's great. But never tells you much more about what that is. And certainly, like Moses seems to indicate, that the kingdom of God is not up in the heaven. The kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is here on earth and is extremely important. Can be found, but must be sought. So if you're confused about the kingdom of God, start with a promise. Amen. Our next hymn is God whose giving knows no ending. Welcome to the Old First Church. 
here in Bennington, Vermont. I might add a thought to my sermon a bit earlier as to why Vila's comment was interesting. One other thing that I think about is that it was not only the path of a comet that would intersect the Earth, but it was the only known comet at the time. I'm not sure if it's different now, but at the time it was the only known comet that was thought to do so. And so that made it unique and special. I don't want to analogize to the interaction of the heavenly and the, um, the earthly, but that, in fact, would be another factor that would make this comet uh, special, something from the heavens which touched the earth. Um, so I leave that all to your thoughts this morning, and I apologize for preaching a sermon on an event that's passed, uh, passed its time. It's Perhaps you're listening to this in the evening and you can run outside, be careful of traffic if you're younger uh, or of any age. Don't run out into traffic to see a comet, uh, but maybe you'll still have a chance to see it. If you have, I'd love to hear from you about it. And if not, um, there's always something else on the horizon. What's not yet on the horizon is our ability to come back here into the meeting house and hold a worship service with us all together. But it's not millions of miles away either. So we will gather together at some point in the future. Looking forward to it. I want to thank Jean Marie Callahan, our organist, for being here with me today. And also Nancy Andrews, who prepared our order of service and the readings. Thanks to everybody who has been listening. I was humbled last week to realize as I was posting our service that I had neglected to post it on the podcast. And what really brought me down to earth was the fact that nobody had called or written to say that it hadn't been posted on the podcast. I know a lot of people listen on the church website, which is great. Apparently, nobody was listening on the podcast last week, but I posted all the services that I could there, and they're still there. And if you have a phone and can load a podcast app onto it, like it or not, you can have services from the old First Church in Bennington with you wherever you go. But what makes a church? People being together. We look forward to that again soon. Our work as a church, both in the Sunday suppers, in the work we do to help people here in the community, in the thoughts and care we give to one another. These are group activities and ones that are done best when we are together. We're not together yet. The one thing that we can do is the morning offering with the hope that we can sustain the things that we have been sustaining through these last few months. And so the morning offering virtually for the work of the church will now be received.
give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, be with us this day. Teach us that the kingdom of heaven is near at hand, is within. Teach us that what is close by is of infinite value, that wonder lays before us. Teach us to love one another as your children, as people across this earth, in one human family under one dome. Give us, we pray, the gifts of peace and humility. Give us a sense of perspective. Give us the power to seek, the courage to search, the ability to name truth, to own our lives and their purpose. Dear God, we pray for the gift of time that we may explore, that we may rest in your love, that we may use the time we are given for worthy and good things. We pray, O Lord, for a gracious perspective upon life. The hard the angry, the difficult, the disappointing, the discouraging, the empty parts. Give us perspective that we might see the whole of the life we have. And in that vision, understand your way. Be with those this day who are coping with difficulties, with loss. Be with those who are anxious and uncertain, futures unknown. Be with those who feel they cannot explore, that they have little, or those who have lost. Help us here to be a community, acknowledging one another's presence and our journey, taken alone and apart, but also within sight of one another as friends, as fellow seekers, for the beauty of this earth gardens, its skies, its waters, for the infinite variety of people. Let us see in these things 
your intentional beauty. Let us overcome what we can of the cold and dark night and turn to the bright presence of Christ. For our families, for those thinking of school, for those with children, for parents, for people separated from those they love. Be with them this week. Be with us to remind us that there is in all times and places joy in life, that it lies right before us, that we are not to be denied these things, but life is full of song and blessing and light, happiness, and goodness. May we be able to see, experience, and delight in these things in days ahead. Now in silence, we make our prayer to you. Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
may God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. Sorry about the audio quality of this week's service, but we had a few technical difficulties. Check in again next week for another podcast and ability to listen in on our services here at the Old First Church. In the meantime, have a good week. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.